everyone, welcome back to another um, mystery case. Um, just welcome back to the podcast. Um, so today we're going to be looking at the disappearance of Jennifer Tessie. Um, and this one's really sad because she is she was only twenty four at the time of her disappearance and like she had her whole life ahead of her like she was like very driven and kind of knew what she wanted her life to look like and it just was kind of taken all away from her and it went missing and no one really knows what happened to her what happened to her so it's really sad I mean all these cases are sad actually but this one's very sad um so yeah um, so let's just get straight into the case. So this case takes place in Orlando, Florida, um, which is in America. If you didn't know, you probably knew that, but it's because, I mean, everyone knows where Florida is. Um, so Jennifer Tessie was born on May the 20th in 1981, um, and was aged 24 at the time of her disappearance um she was five foot eight inches she had blonde hair shoulder length blue eyes um she was very close with her family so her younger brother and her parents she was very close to them called them every day um she didn't live near them she moved to orlando and they lived in Bradenton, I think that's how you say it, um, which was like two hours away, so she would call them every day just to check in, and um, she's, so she studied, she, yeah, she studied at the University of Central Florida, Orlando, and gra- graduated in 2003 with a degree in finance, and when she finished university, she was offered two jobs by the same com- company, so they really wanted her um, because she was hardworking, and like I said, she was very driven, and she was just like a very desirable kind of employee to have at a company because she was just the type of person who always showed up on time. She was very organized, very kind of good at like um work and career driven as well um uh so she ended up taking a job at the central florida investment timeshare company um yes so her life was very routine she was always on time and she was very dedicated to her work um but having a very routine life um if like you do have i don't know a secret something or you're in a dangerous situation having a really routine life and always knowing what you're going to do next and um being very predictable in that way is actually quite dangerous because people always know where you're going to be what time 
and I guess Peter just kept on to it, and um, maybe that's what happened to Jennifer and Sue, and someone like caught on to her routine and like knew kind of when to hit. Um, so, anyway, she was very kind and caring. She had no enemies, and she got on well with everyone. Um, so that's just like the type of person she was. Um, so Jennifer Jeffrey was actually promoted within a year of working at her new job. And in 2005, she bought her own condo at the Mosaic Millennia Complex in Orlando, Florida, which, like I said, was two hours away from her parents. The area was still de- being developed, which meant that there were a lot of workers around um, and there were workers living in empty and unfinished condos as well. Um, and Jennifer would always say to her family and friends, um, like when she'd call them, she'd tell her parents that she felt uncomfortable because workers acted inappropriately around her. Um, like they'd stare at her and, um, they'd whistle, catcall, and she was made very aware of the fact that she lived alone. Um, and this is kind of really important now because most people think that it was workers who lived, um, in, in, like, empty apartments and stuff and, um, who were working at the, at her condo complex, um, that people think it was the workers who actually did something to her because after the disappearance they kind of all like scattered off and took off and no one could find them and um basically they were also like illegal immigrants so they were in the country without documents as well um so that's kind of suspicious and that's why a lot of people think that it was the workers who did something um it's very frustrating though because like obviously they didn't have documentation because they were illegal immigrants so no one really knows who they are or where they were from or anything and like yeah that's really frustrating about this case um Jennifer had a boyfriend called Robert Allen who was British and they had a very healthy relationship according to her family and friends and um, she seemed very happy with him Um, but it was a long distance relationship which sometimes annoyed her um, because obviously long distance relationships are hard. He lived in Fort Lauderdale, which is three hours away from Orlando, and her family also adored him. So, her life was going really well. She had her own condo, she was doing well at her job, she had a healthy relationship with her boyfriend, and she had a good relationship with her family and everything. So, there was nothing unusual in her life, which would lead to her 
something bad happening to her. Um, so this can be very frustrating, we see, because there's like nothing out of the ordinary that happens to her. Um, yeah. Gonna talk about the date leading up to the disappearance. Um, so the 18th of January 2006, Jennifer drives from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale to her boyfriend Rob's house. On the 19th of January, my birthday, um, 2006, Jennifer and her boyfriend Rob flew to St. Croix um, to vacation with a friend and their family, and Jennifer left her car at Rob's um, house. On the 20th of January, 2006, Logan, her brother, used Taekwondo as a place to stay while she was away. Um, and he also invited two of his friends to stay, called Travis, um, which was his best friend, and Matt, who was Jennifer's ex-boyfriend. And they stayed for the weekend. Um, and Travis le- ended up leaving his phone in Jennifer's condo. On the 21st of January, which was the Saturday, um, Jennifer and Rob's flight was cancelled, so they booked a new flight for the next day to Miami. On the 22nd of January, Jennifer and Rob flew back to Florida, um, and a friend of theirs drove them from Miami to Fort Lauderdale to Rob's place, and Jennifer stayed the night there. Um, so, on January... 23rd, which was the Monday, 2006, at 6am Jennifer left Rob's place and drove three hours directly to work at Westgate Resort in Ocoee, I think that's how you pronounce it, I don't exactly know, I looked it up but I forgot it, so I think it's pronounced Ocoee, I d- I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong though. Um, at 9am Jennifer arrived at work. Um, as always, she was always on time, always arrived, 9am, on the dot, yeah, because that's just the type of person she was, like I said. Um, at 6pm, she had a meeting with her boss, and then at the end of the meeting, they walked out to the car park together and said goodnight to each other before getting in their cars and driving off. Um, a toll booth on Jennifer's normal route home records that she drove through so she definitely did go home because the toll booth recorded that she did um and it isn't known what time she arrived back at her condo that night she called her parents and her brother to tell them about her trip to St. Croix and they reported that she seemed happy on that phone call um nothing unusual to report um Logan tells her on this phone call that Travis, one of his friends, um, left his phone at her condo and Jennifer says that she'll mail his phone from her work mailroom the next day and then she calls Travis to tell him this. She also called a few of her good friends to tell them about her trip and she seemed to be in kind of a funky mood to, to them. Um, due to the vacation ending, and she also says that the long-distance relationship was getting to her, according to her best friend Lauren, um, which 
completely understandable because like I said, long distance relationships are hard. Um, at 9.57pm, she called her boyfriend Rob from her landline because her condo um, gets bad reception everywhere except from the balcony. According to Rob, she was tired from her trip and laying in bed while they were on the phone. Rob says that they had a slight disagreement, but it was nothing serious. Um, no one really knows what the disagreement was about. I don't think that the boyfriend has like told the media or anything what it was about. Um, all we know is that they had like a slight disagreement. So I don't think it's anything important or significant. Um, her dad says that during this call to her boyfriend, Jennifer heard a knock on her door, who she believed to be a male upstairs neighbour, neighbor, but she didn't answer. Um, Matt, her ex-boyfriend, was seen at the Blue Martini Bar, drunk. Um, and the Blue Martini Bar is close to her condo. So, Matt, her ex-boyfriend, who was staying in her condo um, while she was away, was seen. And that's important because Matt is kind of considered a person of interest in this case as well. So he was seen near her house, near her condo, um, the night before she was declared missing. Um, so January 24th, which was the Tuesday, 2006, um, sunrise was at 7.17am. And at 7.30am to 8am, um, this was the normal time that Jennifer would leave her condo. Um, her mother says that she was in the habit of calling Rob when she got in her car to drive to work. Um, and her parents actually latered, later narrowed this time down to 7.30 to 7.45. So, like I said, very routine of life. Um, and her mother also says that no one living in condos near to where her car was parked heard the screams. Um, so, obviously, Jen Jennifer did not call Rob this morning because she'd gone missing. Um, so, Rob was actually running late this morning as well. And... At some time in the morning, he called Jennifer, but got her voicemail. Um, he did think it was odd, but that she didn't call. But he didn't really think much of it, and just thought maybe she was running late, or maybe she overslept or something. Um, and didn't, yeah, just didn't really think much about it. So from ten thirty to eleven a.m., Jennifer hadn't showed up for her meeting at work, which was an important meeting. So it was obviously very strange that she didn't show up. Her workplace called her mobile and landline. The CFO of Westgate called her dad, called her dad through, to ask if she was okay. And he says that he'll call her and find out and he can't get a hold of her either. Her mother also can't reach her. Her parents called Rob as well at this time. Um, and he tells them that he can't reach her either. Um, so this is when people start to panic and start to like wonder what might have happened to her. 
and no one can reach her, she hasn't showed up for work, no one's heard from her since the night before, so people are worried at this point. Um, at 12pm that day, a person of interest is seen on a security camera at Huntington um, on the green, driving Jennifer's car up to a visitor parking spot. They sit in the car for 32 seconds after parking it and then get out and walk away from the car. The person of interest's face is blocked in each frame by a fence um, and you can see the footage, like the video footage of this on YouTube um, and it's really frustrating because it kind of, the camera records every like five or six seconds I think um, and each time that it captures like the person each time that it captures their face is covered by a like a bar in the fence um, so it's very very frustrating and people say like this is a really lucky person of interest because if they were walking at like a different time if they'd parked the car like two seconds before or two seconds after and started walking off and they they were captured by the security camera just two seconds before we would have seen their face and we would have known who they were um so it's really frustrating um and so sorry if you heard that, that's my dog in the background being really annoying. Um, anyway, yeah. So this person is dressed in like all white clothes, which are kind of baggy. Um, and they kind of look like a worker or like a painter or something. Um, like a kind of work uniform sort of thing. Um, and like kind of a white cap. Or it kind of looks like a cap. I mean, we, we can't really be sure what it is that they're wearing. Because it's kind of blurry. But um, also, this person's face is blocked um, in each frame by a fence. So the camera records like every five or six seconds. And each time it captures this person their face is blocked by like a pole thing in the fence um which is so frustrating you can see this footage um on youtube and it's really really frustrating and police like um kind of did a test where they to find out what height this person was um by putting different sized people in front of the same camera and they found out that this person was only like five foot five around that height um so a lot of people think that it actually could be a woman not a man um this person of interest because um like i mean not a lot of men are five foot five or i don't know what the average height is for men but it's definitely not five foot five and that is short for a man so a lot of people think that it could be a woman um 
a blood a bloodhound also later tracked a scent from the car park at Huntington on the Green back to Mosaic at Millennia, which was um, Jennifer's condo complex. And some say this suggests that the person of interest um, walked back to Mosaic after dumping the car at Huntington. And this is why I think that it may have been like a worker who did this, because why else would they walk back to the Mosaic Millennia um, condo complex? Because they were a worker there and because they were staying in one of the empty apartments. Um, so Jennifer's parents and brother Logan, who also brings his friend Travis, and remember Travis isn't the one who was Jennifer's ex-boyfriend, that was Matt. Travis was just the friend who was staying in the, con- the her condo. Um, so they all drive from Bradenton, Florida to Orlando, Florida, which was a two-hour drive. Um, so her dad, Drew, calls the condo management office to ask if they could check if Jennifer's car was in its spot. And they reported that it wasn't. And they stay on the line as the manager enters her apartment and he tells them that Jennifer was not there and that the unit does not look disturbed in any way. So it just looked normal, nothing out of the ordinary. Like I said, very unusual. Um, So the family then called friends of Jennifer's to ask if they knew anything and they ended up calling jails and hospitals, but found nothing at all. Um, So at around 3 p.m., Logan and Travis arrived at the Mosaic, at Mosaic and Millennia, and started knocking on every door in the complex, and the parents arrived soon after. At 4.30pm, the family and friends start passing out flyers with Jennifer's photo on, on street corners. Um, And at 8, from 8 to 9pm, Officers arrive at Jennifer's condo to find 14 people inside as her family had been using it as a base for operations. Which is not good. I swear this is like this in all missing persons cases, but... Her condo should have been treated as a crime scene. It should have been sealed off and people should have been wearing protective clothing in there because there could be very important information. Um... But uh, the police should have arrived earlier. I feel like they weren't doing their job. She was missing all day and they only arrived like around 8pm. That's just not good enough. Um, And a lot could have happened to her and a lot more progress could have been made in that time. Um, Like the first day is just so important when someone goes missing. And yeah, it's just not good. Um, but they found there was, like, nothing suspicious in the apartment when they got there. Um, her family didn't, like, report anything unusual. They said that everything was as it was, as it should be. Um, they said, her mum said that the bathroom was a mess, but that was just, like, her. She was just a bit of a messy Becky (laughs) in the bathroom. Um, and... 
oh yeah the it was the shower was kind of like steamy and wet which so it showed that she had been there that morning and she had showered that morning she had got ready for work that day um and they also found her pepper spray in there as well like on her kitchen counter which was unusual for her because she was a very cautious person um and she always she never left the house basically without her pepper spray so it was kind of weird that it was still in there um yeah so it just looked like she'd got ready that morning and left to go to work um her briefcase was missing um her phone was missing travis's phone was also missing so everything important was gone so it just yeah looked like looked really normal like she'd just gone to work nothing suspicious at all there was no signs of break uh of a break-in no signs of forced entry nothing um yeah um i also just want to talk about like the fact that she was actually really careful when it came to like her living alone um obviously as a woman living alone you're pretty vulnerable um so she was very careful like i said always carried pepper spray with her wherever she went um and she actually her apartment was kind of like slightly unfinished so whenever a worker needed to come in and fix something in her apartment she would always stand in the doorway um and talk to a family member or a friend on the phone um so that's actually a really good idea if someone's working in your apartment or your house and you're alone just stand in the doorway talking on the phone to someone she never left them alone in her apartment and she would never be alone in her apartment with them um just things like that she would um she would call someone on the phone and she was walking like alone or something just things like that she'd be very careful with and she would she'd always be like the mum of the group i've of like a friend group i've read i've heard as well so um yeah um on the thursday that week early in the morning a resident of huntington on the green reported that they found um jennifer's car and residents at the complex stated that the car had been parked there for several days um and actually as police opened the boot of the car they had rob watch in case her body was inside because they wanted to see his reaction rob was the boyfriend by the way if you don't remember um they wanted to see his reaction if she was in there because he was a suspect at this point um because i mean people who go missing it's always like the people people closest to them or in most cases it is people closest to them um but she wasn't in there 
sorry again that was my dog he won't stop barking today for some reason um yeah so there was also no dna evidence in the car and it seemed as if it had been wiped down a dvd player was also found in the back seat of the car suggesting that the motive was not to steal from her um her boyfriend rob also said that it looked as if the seat of the car like the driver's seat had been moved because you know how people have like the driver's seat kind of set to a way that they like and it's kind of like personalized to them the boyfriend rob had said that it looked like it had been moved because when he would drive her car he'd move it how it suited him and he just knew how she liked the seat to be for her but yeah he said it'd been moved so that's suspicious um and that's basically it there's nothing else no other evidence um like i said it's really frustrating the police were kind of late to the scene um and didn't really do their job in time which is really frustrating um and the family actually sued the police department for jennifer's case files so that they could take over the case because they felt like the police weren't doing a good enough job and they've hired like private investigators didn't find anything they spent so much money and they haven't found her or any evidence leading to where she may be um so yeah it's just a really frustrating case like i said um and i think that was in 2017 i think i can't remember that they sued the police department they won also they they got the case files um so yeah like i said really sad case she really did have her whole life ahead of her she had a great relationship she'd bought her own condo she was successful and it all just kind of went away um so yeah thank you for listening um, this is the end of part one. Part two will be out on Saturday. And in part two, I'm going to talk about the theories of what might have happened to her as always. So yeah, thank you for listening. Um, follow me on Instagram if you want to know more about me. And bye.